Bibles to Romans chapter 2. Thank you, Sandy. So how many of us have ever judged someone? Go ahead, raise your hands. How How many of us have been judged? How many of us have walked away from God because of someone else's judgment on us? Here's a harder question. Don't raise your hand unless you feel really convicted to do so. How many of you have judged someone and know that because of what you said, your harsh words have pushed them away from Jesus? How many of us are still having a hard time judging and wish today, right now, Never speak a word of judgment to anyone. That should be all of us in this room. The famous saying, if you can't say something nice, nothing at all. I know I'm going to go way over, so I'm sorry. Just letting you know. So when we judge, what are we, what position are we putting ourselves in, in a judgment position? We are assuming God's position. When we judge, we get puffed up with pride. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. That's a hard word, detest. When we judge, our tongue tears down. James 8, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. When we judge, we are revealing our true heart. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitfully above all things wicked and desperately wicked. The Bible tells us there's a penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The good news, Jesus saves. Jesus loves people. The bad news, Sin destroys. And until we understand the bad news, we'll never be able to appreciate the good news. And so let's look at the good news just for a moment. If you have your Bibles, just flip over to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. Good news. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, The righteousness of God is revealed. Good news from faith to faith. Good news. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Good news. Let's just keep going. One more verse. 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Bad news. Do you feel that God's righteousness is being suppressed everywhere around you? How about here in America? Yes. You know, I've heard people keep saying, someday God's going to judge America. Wrong. We're already judged. And if you haven't looked at around, we are. God is judging America. We are already down that road. It's too late. Michelle taught us last week, the first mark of judgment is what? What does God turn you over to? Turning us over to our vile passions, the lust of the heart. 
giving them over to all the immorality that people are clamoring for. God says, okay, you want it? Here you go. Have it. Have it all. He hands it over on a platter, and he backs away from us. So we could see right now that the judgment of God is on America right now. The good news, God is loving and forbearing and gracious. The bad news, if it doesn't lead us to change, then a certain judgment is coming. Jesus loves people, but he does not love their sin. Jesus' love is deep and white. You have not sinned so bad that Jesus will not forgive you. You have not gone down a road too far that he cannot pull you up. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus brings change. His love, his grace leads us to repentance. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves the prostitute, but he does not love prostitution. Jesus loves the criminal, but he does not love the criminal acts committed. Jesus loves the homosexual, but he does not love homosexuality. Jesus loves the gossiper, but he does not love the gossip. Jesus loves the drunkard, but he does not love drunkenness. Jesus loves people, but he does not love their sin. And so this morning, if I could just get everyone here just to understand, yes, we're talking about judgment, but Jesus loves you. And he will not excuse the sin. And if we refuse to change and if we refuse to repent, then there is an inescapable judgment that will follow. An inescapable judgment that will follow. Jesus expects us to turn from the lifestyle of sin if we are going to claim to be Jesus Christ followers. In Romans 1, Paul says the entire world is guilty. In Romans 2... Paul turns to the religious people who were probably pointing their fingers at the Gentiles, saying, you're no better. You do it in secret. You do it in private when no one looks. When no one sees what you do, you're no better. God's judgment will be for everyone. Judgment of God will be a location for all of us humans. It's a location. When you think of judgment, think of location. I'm either going to be with Christ or I'm going to be standing looking at Christ. And so this morning, let's go ahead and look at those two judgments mentioned in the Bible where all mankind will fall into either of these two categories. For the believer, the Bema Seat of Christ, judgment is what awaits us. If you will, go with me to 2 Corinthians 5.10. If not, I'll just go ahead and read it. If it's not already highlighted in your um, Bibles, go ahead and highlight it or borrow a highlighter from your neighbor. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This judgment seat of Christ involves us believers giving an account of our lives in Christ. This is also known as an award ceremony where we will receive our crowns but laying it back down at the feet of Christ. 
We will not want to keep any crowns given to us when we see Jesus face to face knowing it was his sacrifice on the cross that we are even able to be with him and his family. Our good deeds don't hold a match to how perfect Jesus is. He loves you and you and you and you and you just the way you are. You are his favorite. This morning, if you can just grasp what I'm just telling you, you are his favorite. And so is everyone else. Who has accepted him as their savior? Jesus has no favorites. So the next time we pass judgment on someone else, you're judging a child of God. And let's remember that. They deserve every bit of his grace that you do. So when this judgment takes place, we are already in heaven. Praise God, right? Let's listen to the words of the last remaining apostle, John. He tells us in 1 John 2, 2, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Grace is not a green card to sin. Do we stop becoming sinners? No. It's impossible, and God knows that. But we have the choice every day to be a little bit more like Jesus. No need to hang our heads low because we fall short. Yes, we're going to fall short, but let's raise our heads up as daughters of the Most High King. Amen? The second judgment. This is for the unbeliever, and this one's called the White Throne Judgment. This one we find in Revelations 20.11. And I saw a great white throne, and the, the one sitting on it, the earth and sky, fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. This is the judgment of unbelievers in which they are judged according to their works and sentenced to everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Standing alone, face to face, Jesus will not be at their side. Matthew 10.33 tells us, But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. The unbeliever will be judged according to their works and their denial of Jesus Christ. Christians, us ladies in this room, we will not appear before this great great white throne. It's not because we can hide from it. We are spared from this throne of judgment because our sins are already judged in Jesus. We don't escape God's judgment, but we're satisfied in Jesus. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So question, will our good deeds get us to heaven? No. No matter how good grandma is, she's not going to get to heaven if she does not have Jesus as her Lord and Savior in her life. It is because of Jesus Christ and who he is. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the question we need to ask ourselves, why do we judge? Why do we judge other people? Why does it just flow off our tongue? 
Making quick judgments can lead to regrets. We narrate and share stories about others, usually without most of the facts. We know that caution should be used when making judgment about someone's character or choices. Largely, these are based on surface information leading to skewed impressions and outright mistakes. The result? Damage, personally and relationally. Mother Teresa has a famous quote, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. If someone has impressed us with a few positive traits, then we tend to see that person as a, in a positive role. The opposite of this is true. If someone has impressed us with a few negative traits, our overall impression will then be negative of that person who hasn't had the experience of forming a negative impression and saying, I don't like that person. Then once you get to know them, they become a good friend. The problem is that once we make up our minds in judgment, that person's character, it's difficult to change We can even do things that make that person react to us in the way of judging them. Us ladies are good to quickly assume that someone could be a snob right from the beginning. And so the way we react towards that person is making them react back to us, which is validating our way of judging them. Oh, yeah, see, I told you they were a snob because that's just the way they are. So judging does not come out of the mouth as... Verbally, it could be something that you just look at something and go, hmm, hmm. You've already had it in your head. doesn't need to come out of your mouth, but you've judged that person. Jumping to conclusions seems to be our default mode. We tend to ascribe certain traits to others. This is a convenient necessity at times. We assume someone is friendly or unfriendly, kind or unkind, cautious or aggressive. This can be very helpful as we navigate the world around us, whether we're on vacation, at work, in a social setting, for instance. If a young man were to come over to pick up my daughter on a date and he pulls up in a truck and there's beer cans rolling in the back of his truck and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and he's walking up to my door, I can assume that I would be justified to judge for identification and keep her home. Yeah, no, thank you. I don't think she's going to go out with you. That is where we can, our justification and judgment would be okay in that area. Does that make sense to you guys? It's easy to judge others based on an immediate observation rather than saying, this is a situation they are going through. It's easier for us to think they're always like that and form our opinion. Ironically, the better we know the individual, the more flexible our judgment is. Now, why is that? Just think of what you attribute to the stranger driving up or down the 330, and they cut you off. But if you recognize the car and you recognize the person... Oops, yeah, it's okay, don't worry, cut me off anytime. Dinner, come on over, bring the dogs. How quickly does it change when we know somebody personally versus knowing someone who just walked in? And what we say about others says a lot about us, and that's a big ouch. 
when we judge another, we're not defining them. We're defining ourselves. Scripture advises us not to judge one another. In fact, I found 400 scriptures on judging. So get your pens out. I'm just going to name a few. Matthew 7, 2, in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Luke 6, 37, do not judge or you will be judged. John 8, 1, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Ouch. That one really hurts. This is another one of my favorites, Romans 14, 10. You, then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. Often the sins we notice most clearly in someone else are the ones that have taken root in us. Paul wants to humble both the Jews and the Greek, and he wants to make them deeply aware that they depend entirely on mercy, not on themselves or their tradition or their ethnic connection. Just because you are a Jew does not make you better. Just because we wear a cross around our neck doesn't make us better. Just because we come to Bible study doesn't make us better. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3. And so this morning as we read our Bibles, there are some areas we don't have to strain to figure out what God's word is trying to tell us. Some of us will be more affected by certain areas of scripture than others. And why is that? Because we all need to be dealt with on an individual basis. What I struggle with might not be what you struggle with. I'm not to judge you, and you're not to judge me. If we walked for a day, if we walked for an hour, if we walked for maybe five minutes in each other's shoes, most likely we will be all down on our knees asking for forgiveness for passing judgment. When the Holy Spirit is prompting you to reread a passage over and over, God wants to make his word so clear to us that we won't tread lightly on his word, that it will be written on our hearts, remembered in our minds, and the first thing on our tongue when we speak. When we come across scripture that we do not understand, Take it to him in prayer and ask him, God, will you show me what this means? What does this mean to me? And the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and your heart. The Bible tells us not to judge, but yet we do it with such ease. We do it with such carelessness. As if we need to have the approval of others by being better than someone else. The point of Romans, Paul makes it very clear to both Jew and Gentile. We are nothing without Christ. We will all be judged, therefore do not judge. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Paul describes here in Romans the salvation way in his letter. One, everyone has sinned. Two, the penalty for sin is death. Three, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Four, To be forgiven of our sin, we must believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. Salvation comes from Christ, Romans 10. So we can imagine now as we start to look at chapter 2, as Paul's letter is being read, first in the case to the Gentiles, 
The heads are nodding. Yep. That message is for her. Yep. Those filthy Gentiles. And now he wants to turn to the Jews. Paul will begin to address an even more severe case of judgment. Last week it was unrighteousness, and now we're going to talk about self-righteousness. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. You can see Paul saying you are just as bad. Paul is not discussing whether some sins are worse than others. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whenever we judge others, we are condemning ourselves. Because we do the same, maybe not the exact same sin, which is why we're pointing fingers, but things that are just as bad in God's sight, sin is sin. The Jews had the law. Some of them even had it memorized. But they were not keepers of their own law. When they would pass judgment on the Gentiles, who were only doing what the Jews were doing, because the Jews had the law. It's kind of like saying, why tell me I can't have a cookie when you can have two cookies? Verse 2. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? The foundation of God's judgment is based on truth, his truth, perfect, impartial, and absolute. Paul is telling us here that God's judgment will be on our sin, not on our salvation. Everybody in this room and on the earth will one day be judged. Yes, we will not and cannot escape God's judgment. Thankfully for us Christians, our judgment will be at the Bema Seat of Christ. Verse 4, Or do you show contempt, disregard, for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Here we see a picture of God's grace. In his kindness, God holds back his judgment, giving people time to repent. Maybe this is why the rapture has not come yet. Jesus is wanting everyone to repent and accept him as their Lord. God will only wait so long. Time is getting short. God's goodness may be considered his kindness to us in regard to our past sin. He has been good to us because he has not judged us, yet though we deserve it. Forbearance may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our present sin. This very day, indeed this very hour, we have fallen short of his glory, yet he holds back his judgment against us. His long-suffering patience may be considered God's kindness to us in regard to our our future sin. He knows that we will sin tomorrow and the next day, yet he holds back his judgment against us. Considering all this, it is no surprise that Paul describes these three aspects of God's kindness to us as riches. The riches of God's mercy. Let us never disregard them. 
Verse 5, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. His eventual judgment is certain, especially on the unbeliever and the evil we see. We hear people saying, where is God? Where is God? He's coming. Verse 7, to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. First. Corinthians 15:50 tells us now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does corruption inherit incorruption but I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So those who are patiently and persistently doing God's will will find eternal life. So keep on following Jesus. Verse 8. But those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. This is one of those verses that clearly does not need to be explained. Verses 12 through 15, I'm just going to go speed right through these ones. This one is counterfeit righteousness. The Jews of Paul's day regarded themselves as superior to the Gentiles because they were in possession of God's written law. They believed the Gentiles were ignorant of God's law, which accounted for their immoral lifestyle. Paul's intention was to show the Jews that their self-righteous attitude made them even more accountable to God. Yes, they had the law, so what was their excuse? In these verses, the Gentiles will be judged based on their conscience, whereas the Jews, because they have the law, will be judged by the law. In verses 17 through 21, here Paul is asking now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law, a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark, instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, because you know knowledge and truth, you then, do you not teach yourself the law you supposed to live by? In other words, do you not practice what you preach? Thank you, Sandy. Paul is saying before you start telling the Gentiles what to do, you need to teach yourselves. They knew the law so well that they had learned to excuse themselves from the law while criticizing someone else. God's grace and kindness starts tapping our hearts, letting us know that's not right, leading us to repent and ask forgiveness. The scary part can be when we no longer feel guilty for doing what's wrong. 25 through 29, circumcision of the heart is what matters. 
Circumcision of the flesh was just a stamp, a badge of Mosaic system. All it meant was that this man followed the law of Moses. If you look at my wedding ring, this is an outward symbol that I have made a vow before God and before one person. If I wore my ring but was unfaithful, I did not keep the vow. So that was what circumcision of the flesh was. It was just merely a stamp. Verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Paul says being a Jew, circumcised of the flesh, means nothing if they did not keep and obey God's laws. Paul explains in verse 29 that a real Jew, one who pleases God, is not someone who has been circumcised, but someone who has a heart that is right with God and obeys him. To be a Jew meant that you were in God's family and heir to all his promises. And Paul makes it very clear that members in God's family is based on internal, not external. All whose hearts are right with God are real Jews. That is part of God's family. Attending church, being baptized, confirmed, accepted for membership is not enough. God desires our heartfelt devotion and obedience. God wants your heart, and God wants my heart. Remember, before we feel the urge to speak judgment on someone, ask God to show you how he sees that person in his eyes. And so in closing... Let his kindness flow in our veins, that it will lead us to repentance. His favor is our desire. Let's keep Jesus at the center of our lives. Let's be his hands and his mouth, speaking love. Let's ask Jesus to heal our hearts and to make them clean. Open up our eyes to the things that we cannot see. Show us how to love like he loves and to break our hearts for what breaks his. Father, forgive us for judging others. Help us to be more like you every day. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness on our behalf, for your patience, for your forbearance. Father, let your word be a light into our path and a light into our feet every day. Father, clean out our hearts today. Have your love flow through our veins. Jesus, bless the ladies here this morning, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that your presence will be here amongst our study. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.